Uh, I really am very, very tired. I, w- I feel like I wasn't that tired for a while. Um, that might have been in between shows. I feel like that's been... <laughs> I think been I'm so tired right now is like the... A consistent theme. The intro theme song. I don't always include them in the edit, but there's always <laughs> one there, I think, to use if we want. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I've been getting up at like 7 a.m. sometimes. Oh, oh, like when the baby's not even awake yet. This is the thing. This is Actually, I'm glad we brought this up. I have been waking up before my alarm goes off, which as I just laid out my scenario in life is the most infuriating thing in the mm-hmm. world because I only have at maximum the right number of, of sleep. And yes. if I'm voluntarily taking less of that, that is just brain destroyingly annoying. So Yeah. But you're readapting to this new world where waking up in the morning is the thing that you do and you, your ability to overcome that instinctual bed momentum. It's there. Eh, that's thoughtful. I like that. Thank you. To me, one of the biggest lessons of growing up, as I continue to do and will continue <laughs> to do, hopefully, yeah. is how many of the things I thought were fundamental about me were just the way that I was defaulted to. They were my default preferences. Huh. Yeah. And then realizing, you know what? The fact that I am a quote-unquote night owl and yeah. my dad gets up at 6.30 in the morning to go to work, uh, we are wired the same way. He isn't like getting up but he found a point where it was beneficial enough that he taught himself how to do it yeah so i want to make that i I really want to emphasize that point because in my experience a hundred percent of the morning people i have ever met think that this is a choice that night owls are making and that we are just lazy and i want to make the point that no some people (laughs) (laughs) some people's bodies and clocks are wired differently and that i will never like getting up early in the morning i do it because i want the results of doing it or like your father i know that that is what i need to do but if i if it's up to me no i will never be happy with that never it's not my body's natural state it's an interesting distinction in between things you like doing and things you like having done that i've only recently been exposed to but now i like reframe things in that way and it helps me kind of figure out how to be thinking about what I want to spend my time doing. And one of those things is writing. Like somebody recently was like, oh, I, you really like writing, huh? And I, my response was, I really like having written. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I do. And I know. really like having written enough that I make a really, for years now, I've once a month sat down and written, you know, 500,000 words or more. Yeah. Because I've been going I like for, having written. I've been going for seven years and you've been going for a lot longer than that. Yeah. Should we, should we fact it up? Yeah. So my first one is it goes back to Cabbage Corner. Oh, okay. Not a corner I thought I would be on again, if I'm honest. Well, this is one of these, uh, you know, many different vegetables are all based on the same variants of the same species. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, like things like broccoli and cabbage and all these things. They're all mustards. The one you're talking about. The one I'm talking about, Because yeah. we're on so Cabbage Corner. Kale, broccoli, cabbage, and Brussels sprouts. So is mustard a mustard? Mustard? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> um, and so we talked about this previously, uh, back to this very important corner, um, which is sometimes, you know, causes a little bit of, of strain because we want our, our kids to eat their Brussels sprouts 
and their other nutritious okay. vegetables, but Plus, they're not. Brussels sprouts are delicious. Well, they are. Yeah. But fun fact, Brussels sprouts did not used to be delicious. Okay, wait, hold on. Is this an actual fact or is this where you're going to teach us how you cook Brussels sprouts? That's a great question. <laughs> it's an actual fact. I yeah. don't have any Brussels sprouts recipe. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, Alan's finally understood the show concept that he <laughs> helped invent. We, um, stories from our parents' generation often, or at least mine, often involved stories of kids hating Brussels sprouts yeah. and they're being so bitter and, and yeah. disgusting. My dad would tell a story where on it was Halloween and he was like five years old or maybe in that age range. And in order to go out and go trick-or-treating, he had to finish his Brussels sprouts. Oh, and yeah. So mm-hmm. He was young enough that he thought that the best way to do that, because he really didn't want to eat them, no. was to just put them in his mouth. And so he walked around doing his trick-or-treating uh, and at the end of the night, his mom was like, what is in your mouth? And it was a Brussels sprout, which he hadn't thought to spit out the whole time. Hold on. Okay. So there's two pieces of this that are amazing to me. Number one, he hadn't thought to spit it out the entire time, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I mean, listen, you're a smart guy, so I'm curious now where that came from. But He was pretty young, I think. Okay. Secondly, he, how did he trick-or-treat with a Brussels sprout in his mouth? I, I you tuck it in the back and maybe cheeks. I, unclear. It was it was like the 1960s. So the moral of that story, other than the kids are dumb, which is always entertaining, mm. is that Brussels sprouts were highly reviled by many generations. Disliked by all, but considered to be a good thing. Disliked by many, but considered okay, many. to be sure. healthy. Because some people really like bitter cheating. things. Yeah. Um, but in the 1990s, a Dutch scientist... Hans van Duren. Ah, the Dutch. The, the Dutch got involved and actually identified what makes Brussels sprouts bitter, like the specific chemicals in that. Okay. And I kind of was aware of this, but I didn't fully understand kind of how the, this process was involved in coming up with a new breeds of different plants and, and vegetables and fruits and stuff. Mm-hmm. That basically, once they'd identified, oh, it's a particular chemical that makes Brussels sprouts bitter... They went to their seed bank of hundreds of previous varieties of Brussels sprouts that had existed over decades and, I don't know, centuries, a long time of all these varietals, most of which weren't even farmed anymore. Mm -hmm. And they isolated out which ones had less of the bitterness and then experimented to crossbreed them with the like modern high yield ones that were like commercially viable and then were able to make a much tastier brussels sprout which is what you and i know as the delicious brussels sprout and we think ah dad was crazy he thinks he doesn't like brussels sprouts this is like a recurring argument is like we'll have brussels sprouts and have dad over for dinner and he's like refuses to even like look at them and it's like offended that we have brussels sprouts <laughs> whereas i can tell him hey they taste better now and he still won't trust me because his <laughs> mom spent a very long time trying to convince him to eat brussels sprouts but so i have some questions okay so first of all I would assume that this is enabled by the fact that none of these Brussels sprouts need to sort of survive in the wild, because I would assume that the bitterness in the traditional Brussels sprout is in order to prevent it from being eaten by animals. Probably. I mean, one thing, it's often hard to separate out the adaptations in different species that are still useful from the ones Mm, that used to be. That were useful. Maybe there was a predator and now there's not, but it's still bitter. Yeah, because like the Brussels sprouts, even the ones that were previously bitter, I wouldn't be surprised if they were still less bitter than the totally, I mean, wild Brussels sprouts came from 
mustard, like wild mustard plants that got bred into cabbage, that got bred into something, that got bred into something. And so, like, I don't think they were found. I don't think Brussels sprouts, as we even knew them before, were just found out in nature somewhere. Okay. But, yeah, often bitterness is developed in order to make animals not eat it. So yeah. um, that but if you were to kind of let, it's just kind of like an interesting thought experiment that I imagine that um, that plant scientists think through sometimes is like if we if humans were to disappear and then evolution was to pick up again ha- us having created all the various species that we've created like which right. ones would survive and which ones wouldn't but there's lots of things that we eat that are extremely fragile and need very specific human created conditions that would just be completely extinct quite quickly probably because other weeds and stuff would just destroy them right second question that makes a lot of sense is it not also true, have we not already discussed on this program, that this kind of crossbreeding often either prioritizes... This is an unusual one where they apparently prioritized a better flavor because the problem with mm. most U.S. produce is that they prioritized other things over flavor and didn't even... Size, color. Didn't even care about flavor. Yeah. In fact, I was hearing about something, apples maybe, or, or my father was telling me about some fruit or vegetable and unfortunately i do not remember which one where they're now bringing back the flavor finally because they're like oh people want the flavor not just all the other things cool my sense is that that's been happening in the last like 10 to 20 years like possibly from stories like the brussels sprouts where there has been some things where they could bring back or they brought back flavor or were able to make it taste better and then sales went up a lot like apparently the the popularity of brussels sprouts has gone through the roof and then prices the farmers are getting have gone way up. And so they're like, oh, wow, this is a huge success story. And so they're spending more time looking at other fruits mm. and vegetables, thinking, hey, people like things that taste good. Pff, I don't know what. Uh, this is a big surprise. No one realized that. But also centralizing around something like this, where all the Brussels sprouts now are this version because of all the things you just said, is also how we end up with the banana that's how you get the banana problem although the bananas had this particular issue which was the the seedlessness and meaning that every banana was a clone as opposed to i think most things like brussels sprouts they're not actually it's not like the exact brussels sprout dna copy pasted there's still some variation in between that's good the plants so banana clones no good well i will yeah i will think about you next time i'm enjoying delicious brussels sprouts and get some parmesan on there I can't do that because I'm lactose intolerant. But get some salt on there. Fry I will them. get some. I will. And in the end, Alan has advice on how we eat our Brussels sprouts. <laughs> cook them however, however you cook them, they will be better than they were <laughs> before the 1990s. <laughs> well, I, I, I do not have a food-related fact for you. Do you have a Dutch-related fact? Uh, not really. Seed-related? Nope. Mustard-related? Mm-mm. Come on, man. Yeah, you're supposed to prepare. <laughs> Fun fact. It's mostly illegal for anyone to share or sell your video watching history. Oh, interesting. In the United, in the United States. To, to share or sell your video. So this is like maybe something that came from the blockbuster era. Yeah. So the, the Video Privacy Protection Act is the primary law here, the VPPA. Mm-hmm. And it was passed in 1988. And it prevents wrongful disclosure of videotape rental or sale records. Thus, you can see that the blockbuster influence or similar audiovisual materials, which was written so that they could cover video games and also the DVD format that they knew was on the horizon. Right. 
So basically what this meant originally was that if you were running a blockbuster or equivalent to Hollywood video, perhaps, or a local video rental store in 1988, and you released the rental history of anyone who who rented there, that would be against the law. Yeah, I could see how that would be, especially in that time where privacy, in that golden era where people at least had the illusion of well, privacy. Well, it's funny that you say that. So the history of how the law came about is perhaps a bit unusual and, in my opinion, pretty funny. So in 1987, President Ronald Reagan nominated a man named Robert Bork to be on the Supreme Court. Okay. And it was a hotly contested nomination. He was wildly unpopular with a lot of people, and ultimately it it failed. He was not, he was did not become a Supreme Court justice. But right. along the way, his video rental history was leaked to the press. Hmm. And it had things that... The person who was leaking it thought people may disapprove of. No. Oh. <laughs> what? That's an unexpected term. Yeah. So you might have assumed that that would be true. I can't but believe he rented this horrible movie. But no, mostly it was like, you know, Marx Brothers movies and like... Hitchcock movies and things like that. Documentaries on how to be good, a good Supreme Court justice. Yeah, totally, exactly. There was nothing scandalous in there, but there people were still scandalized by the fact that it was leaked at all. And the writer who wrote about it in a paper called the Washington City Paper, which I've honestly never heard of. Sounds pretty made up. (laughs) The writer who wrote about it, a writer named Michael Dolan, justified getting this leaked list and publishing it on the basis that Bork had said that Americans had no general right to privacy. Uh, okay. He right, o- they, that, the... they, that they only had the right to privacy that was afforded to them by direct legislation. Okay. Uh-huh. That's getting taste of your own. I think he kind of deserved that, although a little disappointing he didn't have anything saucy in there. But Yeah. So in response, the next year, Congress passed this law. But what's interesting about it now is that in 2008, it started being interpreted to include streaming services. Sure. And I imagine YouTube would be pretty excited to share slash sell slash whatever your video watching history. So here's the thing. It only applies in the case that you pay the streaming service money. Oh. So watching videos, if you're a YouTube Red subscriber, would be they would be illegal for them to share your viewing history. But I think if I'm reading it and understanding it correctly, if you're a free member, it's okay for them to share it because there was some case where like they there was an app that was completely ad supported and they tested whether or not, you know, some, someone sued someone else. And it was determined that that it did not apply to those people, even though the app assigned each user a unique number and was sharing their behavior with with a third party analytics company. So that's a bit complex and involved. But basically, if you're paying for Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus or Apple TV Plus, they are legally not entitled to share or sell it. The only exception to this, other than if you're not paying, is that starting in 2013, they are allowed to post your history, your viewing history to a social networking site like Facebook or Letterboxd, but only if they get your permission. If you link it up. If you link it up, Hmm. which makes sense. I mean... That yeah, seems fair. Exception. It's interesting because on one hand, I'm like, oh, I don't know if like people saw what I watch. But then I'm kind of like, I don't know. What did I watch? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just find it interesting that, you know, in, in 
in very few areas right now, is there any sort of privacy guarantee? Like the selling of your data from whatever it is you're doing on the internet is, is rampant. And if, if they're not selling it, like Facebook will always tell you with a straight face, we don't sell your data, which is true because it's more valuable to them to just keep it and rent it and do whatever they want with it. You know, sell. Yeah, exactly. Sell you based on it. Yes. So, you know, your mileage may vary, but if you're watching stuff on a real streaming service, that is one of the few areas in, in modern life where you in, at least in the U S where you have absolute protection from, from the, the sharing. That's interesting to me. I think sometimes about how the ads that get targeted to me, mm. which are often pretty accurate mm. are based on. And then sometimes you can think about how something like people who watch this YouTube video, who are they, which it sounds is not covered by this. No people who watch this YouTube video a lot of them clicked through from it being linked in this context. Right. And therefore they are people who were in that context, even though I might think of it, Oh, it's just some random video on YouTube that I didn't even search for. So it doesn't say anything about me, but it might say I was reading this thing in this, at this moment, probably. Oh, I mean the amount of stuff that they can figure out at this point from you in ways that you have no conception of how that would make sense yeah. it is, is so crazy. Cause they can say, Oh, you clicked on these three links and that means you're likely to want a donut right now or whatever it is. Yeah. And you're like, how? And it, you know, the answer is they don't even really know. That's well. Someday we should talk about machine learning. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> it, uh, random aside, his failed nomination also led to the word "bork" becoming a verb, as in like it's borked. Well, maybe there's there's two. <laughs> of course, there's a unknown etymology <laughs> sidebar. <laughs> there's two ways that borked often gets used, and I'm much more familiar with one of them, probably the one you're referring to, which is that something might be broken or that you might have broken or, or messed something up. So the original usage of Bork that, that can be found is in the context of defaming someone with the intent to prevent their appointment to a public office. Mm. So you'd say, we're going to Bork this person, and it's like, we're going to make sure that they don't, we're going to say bad things about them and release bad things about them so they don't get a nominated or we're going to reveal the fact they were watching biographies about supreme court justices exactly so if you've ever borked something you might be using his name but on the other hand you might just be using a misspelling of broken designed to make the point that it's broken oh is that because when i say that oh the server's borked that i always thought of that as yeah broken yeah yeah okay yeah so you might be referring to failed Supreme Court nominee Robert Bork, 1927 to 2012, or you might be deriving from Borkin, which is an intentional misspelling of broken. Hmm. Yeah. You also might ref being, refer- ref being referring to the species name of Pacodenia Borchgravinki. Oh, no, that's definitely what I'm referring to. <laughs> you also I might be using to. a mutation of bark or using the Old Norse word birke, which is... <laughs> <laughs> which old norse word <laughs> i'm probably butchering that if anyone speaks old norse out there please get a hold of us at all norse fm on twitter <laughs> <Old Norse> speakers. <laughs> but that is the old norse version of uh bark aka the thing that covers a tree not the thing that a dog does right uh huh okay well i'll think yeah. about that each time i use that word and make sure i select appropriately yeah thank you robert bork <laughs> <laughs> I love saying his name. It's a good yeah, Bork. Yeah, as a random random other aside, Bork was also involved and in fact in fact was instrumental in the Saturday Night Massacre. Have you ever heard of that? Was that the thing of like they were in the middle of about to 
like impeach Nixon and he just fired everybody in order yeah. to make the, so that nobody could do or say anything about it. Yeah. He ordered the firing of the special prosecutor for Watergate mm. and mm. bad luck. The, or, and then the person who was supposed to do it reti- resigned instead of doing it. And the deputy attorney general also considered it wrong and also resigned, which made Bork acting attorney general and Bork did do it and fired the person. Wow. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that probably should make it so that you don't get appointed to the Supreme Court. To be I honest. feel like that would be disqualifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so interesting guy, Robert Bork. Yeah. I just wanted to say his name one more time. Yeah. One, one last Bork for the road. Exactly. All right. I got a geography fact for you. Yeah. I love geography. Fun fact. There is a peak in Montana mm-hmm. where one side of the mountain drains eventually into the Pacific one side drains into the Gulf of Mexico, okay. and the third side drains into the Arctic. Huh. Okay. I thought it was going to be Pacific Atlantic. Yeah, there's no. I don't think there's a Pacific Atlantic, but there is a peak that drains to the Gulf of Mexico, the Pacific, and the Arctic, depending on the side of the, the mountain that the rain falls on. That's still pretty crazy, because those places are pretty far apart from each other. They are pretty far <laughs> apart uh, from each other. It's called Triple divide peak oh that that makes a lot of sense as a name i mean it's not particularly interesting other than this like hydrology thing and interesting so the kind of this is in the general topic of drainage uh basins so basically <laughs> in, the, in the general topic in the general topic of drainage. you know the many interesting aspects of drainage drainage basins, basins yeah <laughs> a fascinating subject if ever i've heard one but something that wasn't interesting until i saw this map which i'll post in the show notes yeah this is, is what i'm excited for but i haven't gotten it did you send it to me it's making its way through the intertubes um uh, where those tubes a piece of of land any given plot of land or location has okay. a place of in the ocean generally where it will drain to so if water rains here in vancouver or anywhere on the west coast it will drain to the pacific ocean and anywhere on the coast and generally will drain to that coast but if you're in the middle of the continent it's often not clear where you don't think about it event water eventually flowing down through all the rivers merging and merging and merging and eventually ending up in the ocean my Um, question for you would be so we're talking about the water that that hits a mountain and then ends up flowing down waterfalls or what have you and ends up in a river because presumably most of the water that falls anywhere is just absorbed into the soil right um i don't know as a percentage i mean it depends totally on where it lands but i would imagine the majority like it gets absorbed into the soil and then some of the water goes down into being groundwater but, oh, and then the groundwater still flows to somewhere, I suppose. Yeah, I think a lot of groundwater flows, and then oh. some goes into lakes, but a lot of lakes flow out, and some water on the ground. I'm not a hydrologist. I wish you were right now. I know one. We could get her on the program. Hey, um, look at you. That's, all, that's the content people will really subscribe for, is hydrology. <laughs> <laughs> it's the content I would subscribe for, but unfortunately... I just think it's cool that there's a mountain that there's one side of it drains to the Arctic, one dra- side drains to the Gulf of Mexico, one side drains to... Yeah, so explain this map that I'm looking at to me. So this is the map, which is in the show notes, which is the the hydrographical zones, the divides... Um, yeah, that's a cool term. ...that split up North America that show for a given location in North America where the water that drains out of that region eventually Mm. which ocean it eventually flows into so 
the biggest area is actually like the, the majority of the landmass of the United States and even a little bit of Canada, shockingly, drains into the Gulf of Mexico. And that's because <laughs> so much of like the interior of America is pretty flat. And then you can kind of see where the Rocky Mountains kind of divides the, down the center, kind of the spine of North America, and then pretty much everything on the west side of that goes into the Pacific Ocean, and then on the east side of the Rocky Mountains, some of it goes into the Arctic, some of it goes into Hudson Bay, and then into the Arctic, some of it goes to... A, there's a, actually really a narrow strip. It's basically like the only areas that drain into the Atlantic Ocean directly, as opposed to through the Gulf of Mexico, come on the far side of, I guess, like the Appalachians, that would be. And so the majority of America drains into the Gulf of Mexico. So if you're ever in Montana, you wouldn't probably think that you have this hydrographic connection so snow dome also drains in three places as well yeah so this is a this is a different peak in the rockies in canada uh, and it has the same thing except one direction drains into the arctic directly one through hudson bay and then one through the pacific ocean so but doesn't that also mean that the water that goes from triple divide that flows down towards snow dome some of it probably also ends up in hudson bay well, so I think you're reading the map wrong. So okay. along that is the lines, the, so this map has like these colored lines. So yeah. like the, there's a red line, which is kind yeah. of the divide of it's the Rocky It's a really Mountains. long line. The water flows perpendicular to that line. So water does not flow along the lines. I see. So the water that falls... So, okay, so the water... Uh, okay, so the water that falls on Triple Divide Peak, if it falls on the on the sort of west side, it goes to the Pacific Ocean. That makes sense. If it falls on the north side there's a small area where we'll end up in the hudson bay mm-hmm. and then if it falls on the sort of southeast side it will end up in the gulf of mexico right okay. which is the fact yeah yeah so if you're curious where you live where does rain that falls there go pacific ocean but i also live on the pacific Ocean. Well, i know where you i meant you the listener. <laughs> <laughs> if you live on a coast you probably know but, you know, if you're like, if you live in Alberta, you might be like, yeah. I don't know, I guess the Pacific. Well, if you're living in Alberta, probably... you're currently trying to secede from Canada, so. Yeah, and you probably don't like this show, but maybe you do. <laughs> I'm sure we have at least in Alberta. I mean, we've anytime we've made fun of almost anywhere, there's been someone who's been like, hey. Hey. So, yeah. yeah. Please tell us about the your attempt to leave Canada. It's worked very well for the Quebecois. Now I'm offending is... everyone equally. <laughs> my sense <laughs> is that the Alberta succession movement is not, uh, it's not like the Scottish succession movement where it's like. You know, inevitable pretty likely at this point and like yeah. at least 50 percent of people are strongly considering it it's like there's a couple people that you can you know get it yeah but they got themselves a real party now that's not a surprise part the wexit party mm, is that is it actually called that yes it's called wexit well i know hashtag people referring wexit. to it as, no, that... yeah, okay they have a hashtag okay we can have a hashtag <laughs> We should have a hashtag. Hashtag a not... hashtag. Great. We now we have a hashtag. <laughs> hashtag we now get the same level of accomplishment as oh the Wexit movement. Okay, please, 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 people, if you tweeted us, please tweet it with hashtag, hashtag a hashtag. A H A S H T A G. A hashtag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To prove to prove that, you, that, that you're that a real friend of the program. A real friend of the show. No, Wexit Canada. Wexit Canada is a Canadian federal political party. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know how much does that cost it's been around for 23 days oh so it's the newer oh okay okay yeah i just sent you a link to the wexit canada oh 
Wikipedia. Oh, 23 days. Okay. I didn't realize that there was like new, <laughs> I, I follow Canadian politics pretty closely. I, I guess. It... Yeah. I hate to be Canada splaining here. Yeah, I just, Canada splaining you know, me, but you're I right. I heard about it. Current, current stats, according to Wikipedia, Wexit Canada, seats in the Senate, zero. Seats in yeah. the House of Commons, zero. Yeah. Uh, but did you know that they're bringing Saskatchewan with them? Well, I don't know. <laughs> when you're Saskatchewan, you're kind of caught in, you know, in between a rock and a hard place if you have uh, Alberta leaving, so. Yeah, I guess that's that's pretty true. Well, so Wexit Canada is a Canadian federal political party advocating for the succession of Western Canada, including British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone sent the memo that no one in British Columbia wants to leave with the rest of Western Canada. Well, no, so apparently they've asked people in British Columbia a bunch of times, and everyone in British Columbia is like, nah, uh, uh, no, we're, oh, yeah, we're super good. Country with Alberta. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we're super, super yeah, not interested. Washington and Oregon. Mm. Yeah, no, no. You're coming with the Cascadia movement. We've discussed this before. Mm -hmm. And I am so on board with that. Get in line, Alberta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Secession come lately over there. Yeah. Alberta. Although the fun thing about the fun thing about if you did if you did BC uh Washington or like the Mm -hmm. Cascadia thing is that it's not just succession. It's, there's a special word for when parts of multiple countries split off together to make a new country. Fun fact? What's yeah, the fun name? fun fact. That's called irredentism. Oh, yeah. That's irredentism. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's like a great They attempt word. to make Kurdistan and uh, the Middle East where there's like per- Kurds in different countries that want to form together. That's irredentism. It's, yes. This theoretical Kurdistan that is like made up of like four different countries or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what oh. we would do with... Uh, with uh, the Pacific Northwest, if they ever, you know, give up on that experiment called America. <laughs> uh, that, that's an interesting article here about all the irredentist claims in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like a kind of an edge case of, of separatism, but. Yeah. Well, this says that it's it's just anywhere that the movement's members consider to be lost or unredeemed territory from their nation's past. Ah, okay. So it doesn't strictly have to be across multiple no, I don't think it has yeah. to be across multiple national barriers. Before anyone call, writes into calls in, before anyone writes in to let us know, I think it. I think it's just any place where someone says this was historically ours and therefore it should be ours now. Yeah, well, in that case, like there's plenty of indigenous claims in North America and BC in particular where that's the case. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of irredentism in the world. Wow, this list is actually really, really, really long. Yeah, no, so, surprised. Yeah, yeah. Do we have time for one more fact? Hmm. Well, I think it might be time to go into follow up because I have a follow up fact. Let's do it. Let's do. I'm into it. Uh, okay. So, following up on December's discussion of the delfinitude of orcas. Uh, okay. Yes, I'm. I'm putting myself back in my yes. dolphin mindset. Rewind. We were thinking about orcas, dolphins, and the ver- the kind of spectrum of whales. <laughs> yes, uh, the overall whale spectrum. Gus Mueller got in touch to remind us friend of the show, to remind us of a very cool toothed whale fact. Okay. Uh, A narwhal's horn is, in fact, a very long tooth. That is cool. Which is very cool. Uh, Apparently it's filled with, like, millions of nerve endings. That might be less cool for the narwhal. Well, I don't know. Like, it evolved that way for a reason. Yeah. Um, Well, So what does it do with its giant tusk tool? Well, apparently that's a mystery, but in investigating that, which I was trying to figure out and kind of semi-failed, I Mm. came across a second narwhal fact. Oh, can I, by the way, before you tell us your second narwhal fact, can I tell you a 
this is a fact, but it's not really fun. <laughs> okay. Sad fact about narwhals. It's not sad. Well, it's sad in one sense. Horrifying I, fact about narwhals. I didn't know narwhals were real until pretty recently. Uh, well, I mean, like, why are narwhals real, but unicorns are not? You, sure, but there wasn't no even that. that. I just didn't know it was a real animal. Like, you, you hear about animals mentioned, like ligers, you know, and like in internet memes and stuff. Ligers are also real. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah! Hey, okay. Tell me more you. animals that you don't know exist. <laughs> you know, I used to make fun of someone that I knew who thought that dragons and unicorns were real. They were just in a zoo that she hadn't been to yet. Okay, uh-huh. and I still think that's ridiculous. But so I you're the opposite of that. You think narwhals and ligers are I not real? Narwhals and ligers were not. I mean, real. ligers aren't like a common thing. It's just like a lion and a tiger are like barely capable of having offspring. Wow, I just thought it was something from Napoleon Dynamite. Well, I mean, it was. They referred to it in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I, I was just like, that's not they were real. Cool. And then never did a never did a quick internet search. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so any other any other animals? No, I think that's that you, it. Those are the only two animals that you feel like don't exist. We're pretty sure didn't exist. All that, other animals, as far as you know, are real. Well, I mean, you know, the Loch Ness monster. Okay, well, undebated and probably not real. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unicorns, dragons. Yeah, okay. Oh, I mean, there's a Komodo dragon. But, okay. but I, I didn't realize narwhals were real. I just thought that was a thing people said because it was a funny sounding name. And at some point I found out that it was just an actual... An act. I mean, I didn't find that out tonight like I did with Liger. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I just didn't realize. So what's your other actually real animal narwhal fact? The second actually real animal narwhal fact is yeah. that they frequently dive extremely deep, as deep as 1,800 meters Oh, yeah. Did you learn this from that? Yeah. Really cool. That is a really cool website. So there's this visualization, Deep Sea, which I'll link in the show notes, um, that is basically this scrolling. I normally am not fond of like websites and web apps that use like kind of hijack scrolling for demo purposes, but this actually Yeah, worth noting, it doesn't do any scroll jacking. It just uses scrolling as its metaphor. Yeah, and so you can scroll through this thing to see how deep various things. So you go down, it's like, oh, as deep as Atlantic salmon goes, it's only like five meters deep. Oh, that's interesting. I would have kind of assumed they go deeper. And then you kind of scroll, 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 and you're like, oh, wow, beluga whales can go to 83 feet deep. And you like scroll, 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 and you see various other, like how deep various other things go. Uh, and you start to see some like pretty deep things like angler fish, like those things that are in the complete blackness and they bring a little light. Yeah. On they their have head. a cool light with them. Yeah, yeah. They're at like a thousand meters. So like at 3000 feet, you're seeing angler fish. And then eventually I'm scrolling and scrolling through a whole bunch of like horrifying, bizarre deep sea <laughs> things. <laughs> they do get pretty weird. Looking. And it's like a narwhal. <laughs> what is a narwhal doing here? <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah, at eighteen hundred. So that's crazy. I remember one that was uh, pe- penguins were pretty shocking. Yes, but it was yeah. like sea otters or something that went shockingly. Oh, the elephant seal. Elephant seals can go two thousand three hundred ninety-five meters. Maybe that's why they look so weird. <laughs> it, might, it might be. You like know, obviously it starts to be like way less stuff as you go down. Yeah, yeah. Because like normally why would you go down there and apparently why the narwhals go that far down is like a little bit like it's a little bit unclear how they use their horns it's a little bit unclear how deep they dive because they're very shy apparently so if you oh, try to observe maybe them, that's why i thought they weren't real because they just weren't around you just you didn't see any yeah i just that's didn't reasonable yeah to assume but if you haven't seen any narwhals yeah apparently they're shy so if you try to observe them or research them they have a tendency to like not act normally mm-hmm. or almost as though they were never there at all they are actually fake. This is just a prank. <laughs> the cosmic jellyfish is real, though, and very cool looking. 
Yeah, but apparently they use echolocation, which like the narwhal. Yeah, they're also is it narwhal or narwhal? It's narwhal, but I'm sure it's like a degradation of narwhal from like probably Norse or something like that. Um, (laughs) I'm gonna say old Norse. What was it that we're talking about before? Old Norse. It was was indeed old Norse. At some point, we'll do a fun fact about how much of English comes from old Norse. Yeah, probably like big chunks and probably like a bunch of weird words that we haven't thought about why there. But like Mm, that. A lot of very common words. This depth um, (laughs) of like 1800 meters, Uh like a mile deep, uh, it's 180 atmospheres of pressure. That's a lot of, I don't know that that's a lot, but that sounds like a lot. Well, like a normal tire pressure is like 35-ish PSI. And so this is like 42. Yeah. And so this is like 2600 PSI. That's a lot more. It's more like it's yeah. uh, where even even a Tesla tire can't hold that. Much even a Tesla tire can't yeah. hold it. <laughs> yeah, but someday I'm sure if you tweet at Elon Musk, he'll tell you it will hold it. Yeah, he'll, he'll the new version will do. A <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's coming from a software update. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there's just like a team at Tesla that's just like 24 hours ready of team of engineers to start having to build some ridiculous thing that Elon Musk has just announced. There really probably is a team. Like there probably, well, yeah, there's probably like what they would like call special forces or something that just goes around and like kind of solves problems that have come yeah. up. Yeah. Are you familiar with the project management term Kanban? Because I feel like yeah. that's what that's probably. Yeah, this is like you like. have you have a board of like this is what we want to work on soon. This is what we're currently working on. And then this is like what's done and we try and like not be working on too many things at once. Well my understanding was that it was just like whatever you always work on whatever the top priority is at that yeah. moment. Yeah. Which means that many things never, ever, ever get done. Yeah, well, it's an interesting, like, your ability to make sure that you're working on the most important thing is incredibly important in actually moving things forward in a way that matters to people as opposed to feeling like you're getting lots of work done. It's very easy in a big product or a big team to feel like lots of things are getting done because you're, like, closing tickets and stuff. But you're not actually working on the most important stuff. That's kind of, like, very easy to get much more sense of accomplishment than actual accomplishment. Yeah, although the flip side of that is that if you're always putting out fires, you never have time to do anything that takes that you know that isn't immediately useful. Yeah, well, and that's why like you have to in order for something like that to work, you have to have a planning horizon. You have to have someone with a vision, and ideally, like that the team is looped into that is long enough that you can motivate to the team the most important thing for us to be doing right now, or at least the most important for for someone or some portion of the team is to be doing this thing so that this thing start, stops lighting on fire. As opposed to put the fire. Or you just let everyone do what they think is best and somehow it works. That works in certain types of organizations. and It sure does. It doesn't in other ones. So. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. for We could probably make a fact out of that sometime. Probably. Did you have more about the narwhals or walls or whatever? Uh, or is that all your narwhal related? Well, there's a kind of a bonus, bonus, a double bonus fun fact. I love that, double bonus. Which is that one of the reasons. Double secret probation fact. Trying to figure out <laughs> why they dive down that deep. Um, but apparently they love the, their favorite thing to eat is halibut who live on the ocean floor. Just for the halibut? Sorry. The I'm halibut. very sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Did you know that narwhal actually, wait, I'm sorry. What was your fact before I tell you my. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I um, I uh, I was the halibut because I was so shocked. They, so the the reason that narwhal are going so deep to <laughs> dive, or at least one of the reasons, is that they like to eat halibut, which go around on the bottom oh, of the ocean. Okay, which I was kind of surprised. I don't, I don't know. In my mind, halibut didn't weren't like no, bottom you crawlers. Can, you can catch halibut, right? 
I mean, I can't. No, I mean, one can. Yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. of them as, I don't know. I don't know why I, I don't know why I think about halibut, but it's not that they're on the bottom of the Arctic. You made what I thought was a joke earlier. Uh-huh. But now I no longer think it was a joke because, fun fact, narwhal is derived from an old Norse word. No, I mean, I wasn't. <laughs> I didn't know that it was, but it seemed true. I don't know. Yeah, nar means corpse. Oh. And it's a reference to the grayish mottled pigmentation like that of a drowned sailor. You have all sorts of not fun narwhal facts up here, please. <laughs> and also it's summertime habit of lying still or near the surface. That's not uh, a bad thing. Just kind of floating there. Yeah. The, like the scientific name comes from the horse. Greek meaning one tooth, one horn. Okay. Yeah. That seems. Yeah, monodone, oh, so even the Greeks knew that it was a tooth. That it was a tooth. Yeah. But I can't believe it's actually Old Norse. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I'm, I don't know. Northern Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it was like that crazy, but still. Just kind of align nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With your old Norse fact. With my old Norse fact. That's right. They're also, they also have vestigial teeth. I'm learning a lot about narwhals right now. I mean, you should. And I've also pronounced it like five different ways throughout I this. I think you've pronounced it one way every time, which is narwhal, which I'm pretty sure is not how it's. It's, no, it's got to be narwhal, right? Well, yeah. but I, I've I think... said narwhal when I've thought about it. Mm-hmm, okay. And not said it every other time. Every other time. But that's fine. Yeah. They can be narwhals to us. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Here on Fun Fact. 